Okay, well, as I said, welcome to a little something that we call here The Well. And the reason we call it The Well, like I said, is we hope every Sunday that this is an ordinary place where extraordinary things happen by the presence of God. And when God is here and He's in front of us, no matter how ordinary a place, Hilton Hotel it may be, then we expect God to do big things every single time that we meet together. What we're doing, if you're just tuning in today for the first time, is we are reviewing our core values as a church. What I've been saying over and over from the very start is we are not called to be an ordinary church. We are called to do extraordinary things. But in order to do extraordinary things, then we must be extraordinary people. And what we're talking about is the kind of people that God wants us to be in order that we can become the church that God wants us to become. So we've been reviewing our 10 core values. All right, we've gone through the first four today. We're going to get to number five. And I noticed something as we have been going through the core values. And believe me, I told you on the beginning, these core values were inspired by God. All right, and they came from God. I, I wish I could say I took six months and I strategically planned out each one. Like I said, it came a couple hours when I was in a Panera. And as I look at them, what, I have, what, I'll note, what I've noticed and I'm going to show you today is that each and every single one even the order of them, God has been building us up and the order, like the sequence is very, very, very significant. And I'll show you how and I'll show you why. Who remembers what the first core value here at St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church is? <laughs> Limitless acceptance. We believe that every person who enters our church is the most important person in the world and that person is sent by God and should be loved and accepted as such. That's the starting point is limitless acceptance. That's who God is and if we're the body of God on earth, then we should be the same way. Second core value at St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church is authentic community. Very good. We believe that God created the church to fulfill our relational needs in addition to our spiritual needs. We reject superficiality in relationship with one another just as we reject superficiality in our relationship with God. This should never be superficial and this should never be superficial. God put us together, not just that we be in the same room once a week together, but that we become a community of believers. A really, we become, become one body, authentic community. Third core value, transformational. transformational communal worship. When we as a body get together, it's not a social club or a country club. We gather to be transformed by the real presence of God in our midst every time we meet. Liturgical prayer is not just routine, it is life-giving, it is real, it is the center of our life as a family. We are not just a country club or a social club. If we gather, anywhere we gather, it is around the presence of God in our midst. Last week, we talked about the fourth core value, which is? Passionate pursuit of God. Very good. And as those who are passionate people, this was a good one. We don't stop worshiping after we leave the church. We seek to live passionate lives for God, pursuing Him every day through prayer, Bible reading, giving, witnessing, and everything we do. Our pursuit of God, our gathering around the presence of God, is not just something we do when we're together on Sundays, but we are passionate about pursuing God in everything we do. That means if we are going to um, uh, open our Bible, we're going to do so passionately, not routinely. That means if we're going to uh, have a prayer meeting, we're going to do so passionately. That means if we're going to get together and have fun, we'll be passionate about that as well. But we're not just going to go through the motions around here because we hate going through the motions. Now today, the fifth core value here at St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church is Christ-like integrity. We believe that our personal integrity is the greatest reflection of our relationship with Christ. We know that true spiritual maturity is measured by obedience, not knowledge. Today we're going to talk about what it means not just to have integrity, but to have Christ-like integrity in everything that we do. Now here's what I was saying a minute ago 
as I said, even the sequence, even the sequence, which was totally haphazard and random, was planned by God. I started looking at them from acceptance to community and then to transformational worship and then passionate pursuit of God and Christ-like integrity. And I noticed this. Each one, God is building us up. And today is actually the peak. Because what happens after God builds us up, then He sends us out. Here's the 10 core values in sequence, starting at the bottom, okay, then going around from 1 all the way to 10. It begins with us gathering together and accepting anyone who's anyone. And then when we gather together, we have authentic community and we build our family relationship. That family relationship is based on the presence of God in our midst. And that God's presence in our midst, it pushes us to outside, after we leave the walls of the church, to pursue Him passionately. To the point that we can one day live as Christ lived, with the, with the kind of lifestyle, a Christ-like lifestyle, which is the peak. And then after we are at that point where we are living as Christ lives, then we scale the top of it, and then all the rest of it, is the fruits of that life and what comes after that. Because after that, we are going to walk out with faith-filled vision, believing in a God who does miracles, not a little God, but a big God. And then after that, we are going to become irrationally generous people. We're going to seek to give of our time and our money in ways that the people at your work and at your college are going to think that you're crazy. And then after that, we're going to see whatever, whatever gifts and talents we have, and we are going to want to offer those to God. We're going to go out and preach the gospel to any single person that we see because not necessarily preaching that way, but we want to share the good news that we have because it's such good news. And that is going to lead us to everywhere we go in our community to having genuine love for the community. See what I'm saying? How God is building us up here with these core values and saying, get together, build up your bond, gather around me, pursue me everywhere you go, and then make it that your goal is to live like me everywhere that you go, in every conversation, in everything. That's what we're talking about today, that Christ-like integrity. And then once we've scaled that wall, then we start to see the fruits of it. The community will see the fruits of it. We don't, we can't do this side without this side. We're not just going to sit here and say, let's just go be good to the community and let's go preach and, and let's give of what we got until we have scaled this side of the mountain. Y'all see how that works? The core values are a mountain, which we're scaling on one side now. And then we get to the top and then it, you roll down. At least that's the way I see it. If you don't see it that way, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you can take them all as separately as you want. I got real excited when I, when, when I, when I noticed this yesterday. Let's get to our topic of today, of Christ-like integrity. We know that our personal integrity is the greatest reflection of our relationship with Christ. It's not what we say, it's not what we know, it's how we live. That's the reflection, that's the sign of our connection with Christ. That's not us. It's a fire alarm. We should get out, yeah. All right. Yeah. But we didn't cause it this time. Okay. Yeah. We'll be back. Take your iPads with you just in case. That can't be us this time. But that's to take us to like some... Kitchen, probably. Yeah, it's like the kitchen and stuff like that. No, I'm just going to grab my iPad. That can't be us. Is it us? Not us. Where's the shorty? 
dumped yeah. it. Yeah. Where, where did you dump it? In the bin. No, it's good. Okay. We're good. I take the bin. Okay. It's not us. It's not us. <laughs> it's not us. Well, I just figured you were on a roll. <laughs> you were yeah, on fire. They're passionate. Yeah. No, we set the fire alarm off uh, the first week we were here. Yeah. I was curious about that. Yeah. No, I, that's why I used very, 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 very little. But this time it's legitimately not us. Oh, the children. Hey, hey how are you? I sprained my wrist. Uh-oh. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Madonna, no fire. It's not us. Yeah. Yeah. Good, we get more coffee hour. <laughs> you have it on your phone? Huh? Do you have a presentation on your phone? Yeah, I do. Keep your hand outs, we're gonna have a talk right here. <laughs> Keep your hand outs. Yeah, it stopped. It stopped? I'm ready to give the talk right here if you guys want. Y'all go down there and I'll stand up here. Do you have to go back? Yeah, I think it stopped. Can we come back, sir? Can we come back? Not yet. Not, Not yet? yet? I'm okay. checking the app. I've never seen the clear yet. Sure. No worries. You guys can just stay on the Sure. Okay? Sure. I went back for my colonia. You back to your what? I went back for my colonia. <laughs> Did I tell you about the comments under there? Have you Where? ever seen it? <laughs> no. Seen it in the video? No. There's a comment that says we're too, but they're shady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay? It's okay? Okay, guys, we're clear. Come on back in. Come on back. Come back. Thank you. That's all right. That's all right. All right, cue the video up. Yeah, wasn't us. That, I mean, that's the next thing. Yeah. That's guy was on fire. That's what it was. I was on fire. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. It, it, it's totally true. It's from God. Acceptance, community. Yeah. Because the cult, like if we had started with cult evangelism, like what is, it's stupid. <laughs> but I didn't plan it in that order. All right, everyone back in. Fire alarm is over. Sure. So uh, they're in the background. Sure. We're right here on the last chair. Okay. All right, welcome back, welcome back. That's okay, take two. In case you missed a handout on the way in, there's handouts back there. This was God's way of saying in case anyone missed a handout. That's how. That's what it was for. Yeah. Yeah. Should we make Maria come back and sing another song, or we can just jump right in? <laughs> Huh? Forgot the what? Oh, it's nice. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good news, ladies and gentlemen. The fire was not caused by us. That's the most important thing here. Okay. And you'd be lying if you didn't think for one second when that alarm went off that it was probably us, okay? But it was not us. Legitimately, it wasn't us this time, okay? For those who weren't here in week two of St. Timothy's Church, 
it was our fault when it did the alarm did go off. Okay, we did set it off. All right, so let's go back to what we were talking about. The fire, okay, we'll let the fire cool a little bit, all right? We're going to watch a video right now to try to define, if I asked you to define what is integrity. Actually, before we get to the video, what's integrity? What's integrity? What does that word mean? It's a word that's used often, and it's not necessarily even a Christian word, like you can be not Christian and have integrity. What's integrity? How would you define it? Anyone take a shot? What'd you say, Mina? Doing the right thing when it's difficult. Doing the right thing when it's difficult, okay. Anyone else want to take a shot? But I would say what you believe is the right thing. Oh, she added a twist. Doing what you believe is the right thing even when it's difficult, okay. Not the most succinct. Who you are when no one's looking. Who you are when no one's looking, okay. All right, let's watch this little video clip of a man on the street asking the same question, see what, what he comes up with. that was repeated that I really liked that, that really hit of what integrity is. Anyone want to guess? Honesty. Okay. The two that hit me so much that I always think of is honesty and then someone said something to the equivalent of like what you see is what you get. Something like that. If I had to define what integrity is and there's no way to come up with like one definition. But what I want to speak about today is a life of integrity, a life of honesty. And when I talk about honesty, I'm not saying 
not telling the truth. I'm not talking about like not telling the truth on, on your taxes or things like that. What I'm talking about is a life of honesty that you are who you say you are. That you are who you say you are. Because I'm not worried about the people in this room about what we say about ourselves. I'm worried does our actions match what we say. Integrity comes from the word integer, which means like one is an integer. Means that you are one person. You are not many people. You're not one on Sunday and another on Monday, and then another one on Friday, and then another one on Saturday. It means that you are one person, and what you see is what you get. What's the opposite then of integrity? What's the opposite of honesty? Obviously dishonesty, but what I'm going to say the opposite of, of integrity is, the opposite is hiding from the truth. Not necessarily being dishonest, like in the way that we would think of it, but hiding from the truth. What, I'm what am I talking about? If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, the very first mistake, the very first sin, when Adam and Eve committed the sin in the garden, their natural response, their response was to hide and cover up the truth. Not to be honest and to admit, but to cover it up. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. After they, they committed the sin. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What did Adam and Eve do when they made a mistake? Even though they knew that God created everything, and they knew God, like they knew God better than me and you know God. Me and you know God, they knew God better than we knew God. We know God. Because they walked with God every single day. They had no, no issue with God. We know that you can't hide from God. And they know that they can't hide from God, but they tried to hide from God. And they tried to sow fig leaves, and they tried to hide from God. You know who I think they're really hiding from? I don't think they were hiding from God. They're not stupid. They knew God could see them. Who are they hiding from? They're hiding from themselves. Because that's exactly what we do. When we make a mistake, our instinct, our instinct is to cover up. Don't let anyone see. Don't be exposed. Make up excuses. Blame it on somebody else. Our natural instinct, it's in our nature, we got it from these guys, is to cover up and not to be open and not to be exposing, but to be the exact opposite. To cover it up and to hide it. There's a problem with that. The problem is that just like when you go to a doctor, if you go to a doctor and you are not willing to expose yourself in front of the doctor, the doctor can never heal you. Right? Doctors. If there's any doctors here. Alright? The only way, I can't go to the doctor and say, okay doc, something on my body is hurting, but I won't tell you what it is. Okay? And I won't take off any of my clothes. I won't show you anything. And I won't go under any machines. He can't solve me. I can't go to the dentist and say, there's something in there, but I won't open my mouth. The only way to find healing is to expose myself. And no one wants to expose themselves. And no one wants to expose himself to God. But we want God to bless us. And we want God to transform us. But we don't want to expose ourselves. You know who we are? We are, and forgive me if I'm insulting anyone here. I'm not insulting anyone. We are... I'll say a man, that way I don't get in trouble. Okay? We are the guy who keeps eating and eating and putting on weight, but as long as he doesn't look at the scale, he doesn't think he's gaining weight. And he thinks that as long as I don't step on the scale, I'm okay because the last time I weighed myself, I was a buck sixty. 
Not weighing yourself doesn't mean you're not gaining weight. It just means that you're covering up the truth. And we do the same thing spiritually. And we need to fix that. Why? Because the truth of the matter is, God cannot work in the heart that refuses to acknowledge the truth. I said in the beginning, we're climbing a ladder. Today is the top of the ladder. Why I say that? Because today is the hardest. Because today what we're talking about is living a life where we don't make excuses and we don't cover up. We call sin, sin. We call it by its name without justifying it or making excuses or blaming somebody else. We call it like it is. That's a life of integrity to me. Psalm 15, verse 1 to 2. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose, heart, whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. You can circle that last part. Who speaks the truth from his heart. Your mouth may speak the truth. You may not tell lies, but you may every day look in the mirror and be lying to yourself about who you are. Just like Adam and Eve did. No, God, there's no problem here. There's no problem. What's the problem? Everything's fine here. Well, yeah, no, there's no problem. And you may be doing that same thing. We're going to look today at the example of a guy from the Old Testament of Jacob. Jacob learned this lesson. Unfortunately for him, he learned it the hard way. And hopefully we can learn it the easy way so we don't have to learn it the hard way, but most of us will end up learning it the hard way anyway because that's just how we are. You all know the story of Jacob. Jacob's name means what? Deceiver. All right? And in the Old Testament, the names were very, not just like random names, but the names describe their character. Jacob was a deceiver. And his whole life, he had been cheating and deceiving his way to achieve whatever it is that he wanted to achieve. You all know the story from the very, very beginning of when he duped his old man father to rob his older brother of his birthright. So Jacob, not only like two family members with one act, he duped the old man who was blind, Isaac couldn't see, and then he ended up stealing from his brother in one act. That's when it says here, when he, at the help of his mother, went to his father and said, my father. And, and Isaac at the time was kind of blind, he couldn't really see. So he said, here I am, who are you, my son? So Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. He pretended to be his older brother, who was a hairy guy, and he put like animal hair all over, put fur all over himself. He deceived his dad in order to steal from his brother. Jacob was a deceiver, and he did it his entire life. Now, if you had gone to Jacob at this moment in time, say, Jacob, are you a dishonest person? Are you a bad guy? What do you think Jacob would say? I'm telling you, I met more people than you know. I met people here, there, everywhere. I meet people online. I meet people, people call me. I meet people when I go visit. I meet people. I never met one person who thinks they're a bad person. I never met one person who thinks they're a bad person. Everyone thinks they're a good person. And if you would ask Jacob, hey Jacob, you a good person or a bad person? he said, no, I'm a good person. I'm a child of God. Say, but you did this. He said, you know what Esau did to me? You know how many times he picked on me? He had it coming. Or the old man has been favoring him since he was a young boy. Or you know what? This is just, this is just the way the world is these days. 
He could come up with a thousand excuses, just as you and I. But me and you can objectively sit here and say, Jacob, you're a liar. You're a deceiver. We can say that objectively, but he would never say that. That's what integrity is all about. It's calling it by its name instead of making excuses. God hates excuses. If Jacob or any of us, if you come to God and parents, you understand this with your kids. My kid comes to me. This, this is what I always tell my kids, by the way. I say, you can make a mistake and that'll get you in trouble. If you lie about it, that'll get you in real trouble. Admit it. Come say, hey, I did this and I did this. Minimal trouble. You will get in minimal trouble. Yes. You lie about it and I discover you, that's the end of the world. Even if the action, the crime was a small, but the lie makes it the end of the world. God hates excuses. Parents hate excuses. So one day, God decided enough is enough with Jacob. I can't take it anymore. I can't take his excuses. Not I can't take his sin. This is very important. Not I can't take his sin. Because if Jacob would just come and say, God, I'm sorry, help me, God would have been cool. But I can't take the excuses. I can't take the lack of integrity and lack of honesty. So God did something strange with him, something he didn't do with anyone else. We're going to read the story in Genesis 32 about when God wrestled with Jacob. The story begins right here. Verse 24. Jacob was out running from his brother Esau. And it says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Bible note. When it says a man, capital M. Anytime you see a capital M for man, means it wasn't just a man. It was the man. <laughs> okay? And same thing when you see an angel, the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, capital A, angel, means it was a pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? Christ, the Logos, okay? Jesus, I'm sorry, Christ, the Logos, has been since the beginning. From before the beginning, there was God. And Christ existed. Now Christ took human form at the incarnation, okay? And that's when we see like incarnate Christ. But even before that, there was pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? Doesn't mean that he walked around the earth like he, does, like he did when he was like alive. Okay? But it means there was appearances. Just as there was with the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit would come at certain moments in time. So this is a pre-incarnate Christ. God took flesh for a moment and appeared to Jacob and he started wrestling him. Why? Who likes wrestling? Raise your hand if you like wrestling. Be honest. WWF. Come on. No one? Really? Y'all just... Uh, be honest. We're integrity today. Okay, we're honest. Okay, y'all can admit it. We all would like to watch a little wrestling back in our day. Okay, there's no shame in that. Okay, I don't watch the fake stuff now. I watched when it was real. Okay, back in like the... used to when it was real. What's the purpose of wrestling? Well, entertainment is now, okay? But if I'm wrestling you, I want to do one of two things to you. How do you win wrestling? I get I, one of two things. Pin you or get you to submit. Say, I quit. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I think that's what God was doing with Jacob. I'm going to wrestle you, Jacob, until either I get you down on the ground and that's it, or you say, that's it. I quit. No more. And that's exactly what happens here between God and Jacob. Why? God knew that Jacob would never change on his own. God needed to wrestle him down. You want me to tell you something to be honest with you? And I can say this in general terms so no one can be offended. I want to say this to you 
and on an individual level, but sometimes I'm too chicken to say it. So I'll say it on a general level. And I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to you. Sometimes the events of life that make you feel like calling it quits, the tough events where you feel back against the wall and, and literally you feel like somebody is beating you to a pulp and you are cornered and there's nowhere to go. Sometimes it's God. We don't want to say that. We want to say it's the devil. But sometimes it's God. And I want to say sometimes, I want to say oftentimes, but I'm not that bold enough to say that. But don't just think that those events in your life which make you feel like, ah, enough, I can't take it anymore. Sometimes it's God. And God is doing it to get you to see something that you can't otherwise see. Just like he did with Jacob. Jacob would say, God, if you love me, why are you doing this to me? And God would say, because I want you to see the truth that you can't see. And the only way I get you to see it is I have to wrestle you to the ground. And that's what God does sometimes. He wrestles us to the ground. He, re he, he wrestles our career to the ground. He wrestles our finances to the ground. He wrestles our relationships to the ground. He wrestles it to the ground. And we say, God, I can, well, why are you allowing this? He says, I'm not allowing it. I'm doing it. Let me show you a verse in the Bible. Prove what I'm saying. Luke 4. Speak about when Jesus went to the wilderness to be tempted. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the devil into the wilderness, being tempted by 40 day, for 40 days by the devil. That's what we want, right? Jesus was in the, in the wilderness because the devil led him there. And the devil put him in that situation. Is that what it says? Who put Jesus into the hardest 40 days of his life on earth? Who put him in that situation? Who led him? Spirit. We don't like that. We don't like that. We want to say anything bad is not from God. But I want you to know that oftentimes the things which you define as bad are from God. Because they're doing a greater purpose. And they're getting you like Jacob on the ground until you face the facts. You have a problem. You have a problem that needs to be solved. I read it one time. It's a very nice quote. So that usually we don't change because we see the light. We change because we feel the heat. I like that. And oftentimes it's those heat feeling moments where you feel like the heat is coming that makes you look in the mirror, take an honest look and say, you know what, I got to change. That's what God does with Jacob. The story goes on while he's wrestling him. After wrestling all night, all night wrestling, God says to Jacob, so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Why did he ask him his name? That's a strange question. After wrestling all night, excuse me, sir. <laughs> My name is, what's your name? Why did he ask him his name? Huh? Yeah, very good. To admit who he was. I just told you in the beginning that your name was a lot more than just your name. Your name was your character. So he got him down after all night. He struggled with him and Jacob was a feisty guy. And Jacob fought back. And God would swing and Jacob would swing. And they were going all night long wrestling until finally God gets him down, gets him pinned. And Jacob says, So God says to him, What is your name? Tell me who you are. Admit who you are. And Jacob said, I'm a deceiver. I give up. And when Jacob said that, he didn't just say that. He thought of, my father Isaac, I'm a deceiver. My brother Esau, 
I'm a liar. My uh, uh, father-in-law, Laban, I'm a scoundrel. And he started to go through. And finally he said, you know what, God? I quit. I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. For the first time in his life, Jacob admitted who he was. Now here's the question that I have for you. If tonight, June 10th, 2012, God comes to you, you go to sleep, God wakes you up, and God rolls up his sleeves, and God wrestles you tonight and says, Who are you? What would you say? Tonight, God comes and says, I'm not going to let you go till you tell me your name. What would you say? Some of us, I'm lost. I'm a liar. I'm arrogant. I'm insecure. I'm a thief. I'm a cheater. All our life, we know those things, but we run from God. We cover it up. And as soon as something, we run this way. And, then we, and eventually, God corners you. Who are you? You're a greedy person. Admit it. You're a materialistic, selfish, greedy person. I'm cornering you tonight. What would you admit? Or what would you say your name is? Look, I said in the beginning, this stuff isn't easy. We spend our whole lives running from ourselves. But the bottom line is, you will never find the transformation, the blessing of God, until you face to face with who you really are. Why? Look at these verses. James 4, verse 6. The Bible says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Grace is the power of God that you need for whatever. Whatever it is that you're praying for, you're praying for something. Grace is the answer to that prayer. Whatever it is. Okay? You want strength. You want comfort. You want whatever, whatever it is that you want. Grace is the answer. And the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. Just again, back to my doctor analogy. As the doctor, I will give healing to anyone who comes and tells me the problem. But someone who hides the problem, they will never ever find healing. Not because I'm, I'm a bad guy, but because I can't heal when you're constantly covering. God says the same thing. What's your name? Admit who you are. If you're not willing to admit who you are, don't be surprised that you don't find healing and you don't find blessing. Look at this next verse. A misunderstood verse. James 5.16 Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This verse, confess your trespasses to one another. Sometimes we look at this and say this is talking about the sacrament of confession. Okay, I'll give you that. It, uh, it can like support the sacrament of confession, but I don't think that's what this is talking about. Because it says to one another. All right, so it's clearly saying more than just to one person. What is this verse talking about? I think this verse is talking about a lifestyle of openness. A lifestyle where I'm not always hiding and pretending to be something that I'm not. What James is saying right here is stop being hypocrites. Stop coming to church and pretending that you're something. Confess your trespasses to one another. When someone says, how are you? I'm not saying we do this to this degree, but I'm going the extreme example. Okay? When, when, when you're with your friends or people you're close, don't pretend to be something. If you've got a problem, admit you've got a problem. And stop trying to cover it up. 
Say, yes, I struggle with this. And I, I got a problem with materialism. Help me out. I got a problem. I think bad, impure thoughts. Let's not watch this show because these, this show gives me bad thoughts. Stop, stop hiding and pretending that you're strong and that you're something. Everyone here has a weakness. Everyone here has struggles. We just all pretended. And there's no one who's better at pretending than me. I'm the best pretender of them all. I stand up here and I give you all this stuff and everyone thinks I'm perfect. And I know I'm not perfect. The only difference between me and you is because I get to talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, I know the weaknesses of every single person. So it makes it a lot easier for me to say, I got problems too. Because I know that you have problems. Confess your trespasses to one another is not about just confession. It is about a lifestyle of openness, of honesty, a lifestyle of integrity. We are not pretending to be something that we are not. Jacob ran his whole life. God wrestled him down. Jacob admitted he was a liar and a deceiver. And the result? Jacob's honesty led to transformation. Remember I said before, here, our goal in the well is that an ordinary place where extraordinary transformation happens by the presence of God. Excuse me. Transformation will never happen as long as we are putting up a mask. Look what it says here. Next verse. Genesis 32, 28. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Remember, the name is more than a name. It's not like I got a cute nickname for you. Like, oh, let me call you this. When God says, I'm going to give you a new name, I'm giving you a new identity. You're a new person. I changed you from old into a new person. From Jacob to Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men have prevailed. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face. My life is preserved. Jacob meant deceiver. Israel means prince of God, or prince with God, I should say. Jacob went from deceiver, that's a pretty low rank, to prince with God. And all of history, all of history will remember Israel. As the children of Israel, as the country of Israel, 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 Israel. We don't talk about Jacob anymore. We talk about Israel. Why? Not because he became a great person after this. If you know the story, he made mistakes after this. And in fact, what you'll notice, if you're like keen into it, is that Jacob later on made other mistakes and God called him Jacob again. Like God referred to him as Jacob again. Like in the same chapter, he'll call him Israel and Jacob. Like he was reminding him, don't forget who you are and I changed you to this. So the issue isn't that after this transformation that Israel never made another mistake. You know, he made many mistakes. But he came back to God. He admitted who he was. He stopped deceiving himself. That's what happened here. And that's why God changed his life. Look, you want a new name? You want a new name? I want a new name. I would love a new name. You got to be honest. You got to stop running from the truth. That's what integrity is all about. I'm going to challenge you today. And I'm going to give you a homework assignment today. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. You have a whole week to do it. It's not going to be easy though. We'll make you face up to the truth. Alright, I'll talk about the homework assignment in a little bit. But before I talk about the homework assignment, I want to give you two things to remember while doing the homework assignment. Because the homework assignment is going to be that you have to examine yourself. But I get scared when I give a, you know, and sin is bad and examine your sin and be honest that some people are going to run with that and go the wrong direction. So two things to remember before you run off condemning yourself as the worst person in the whole wide world.
First thing to remember is that no sin is too big for God to forgive. No sin is too big for God to forgive. I don't want to talk a lot about this. I just want to mention it and remind you. Just because I don't talk about the bigness of God's forgiveness today doesn't negate all those other sermons and Bible verses that talk about how God can forgive any sin, any sin, any sin, any sin. I brought just one here, one verse here for you, just to keep it in mind. And I like the way it's phrased. Isaiah 1.18 Come now, let us reason together. I feel like God is saying this to anyone who's going crazy in guilt and shame and I'm the worst person and I'm going to jump off the bridge, I'm the worst person. It's okay, just slow down. Let's reason together. Okay, just relax. Let's go logic one, one another. Says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Anytime you find yourself, I'm the worst, and Abuna Anthony's right, and I'm a miserable person, I'm the worst. No, 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 that's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. It's not about you're a miserable person. So be honest and admit the sin. Bring the sin to God. God can take care of any sin. <clears throat> no sin is too big for God to forgive. The flip side of that, no sin is too small for you to ignore. Big boat, little hole. Who wins? Little hole wins every time. Big house, little termite. Who wins? Termite wins every time. The little guy wins every time. Giant, saint, spiritual. Little sin that goes ignored. Who wins? The little guy wins every single time. Again, I'm not saying you had to be perfect and you sin, you're the worst person. I'm not saying that. But if you ignore this sin, and you don't address this sin, you're not honest about this sin, the sin will win every single time. King Solomon, wise man, Song of Songs, said, catch us the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vines. We have this idea in our minds that there are big sins, they're bad. There are little sins, they're not a big deal. Solomon says, actually, it's the little ones that cause the most problem. James 2.10 For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, is guilty of all. A wise person once told me, gave me some spiritual advice, and it's the best advice ever. Learn to judge sin at the smallest level possible. Learn to judge sin at the smallest. If you can judge a sin at the thought level, you're, that's the best. Before it has even taken root in your heart and your emotions and then manifested in actions, once it's manifested in the actions, and God forbid the actions have become habitual, all right, at that point in time, Good luck to you. I'm not saying there's no hope, but what I'm saying is if you can judge it when it's still a small little thought at the smallest level possible, that's your best bet of victory. i give you an example. Who is an example of a big, giant, spiritually huge man of God? Amen. David. John loves David. Okay. God said about David, this is a man after my own heart. David was the best of the best. He was better than the best of the best. But David had a problem. What was David's big downfall? We all know the story of Bathsheba, right? About how David, when he saw this lady Bathsheba, 
kind of caught his eye. He said, you know what I'm saying? You know? And then he ended up um, committing adultery. That's the word I was looking for. It escaped me at the moment. Committing adultery with her. And then went a step further and did what? Had her husband killed so he could marry her himself. And you say, wow, David, how did you commit this big sin? David didn't commit a big sin. David had a little sin in his life from way, 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 way before that David ignored. Y'all know what that sin was? The seed, the manifestation of Bathsheba, lust, started with something very, very small many years before. Y'all know that David had many wives. David had many wives. Which you say, okay, when the Old Testament, a lot of people had a lot of wives. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 to 17. Something which David surely knew. Look what it says. God is telling them, this is before they had any kings, any anything. He says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. We shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Saying there's going to come a point in time where you guys are going to say, we want to have a king. And God's going to say, okay, you're going to have a king. But listen, when you have a king, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. God did allow everyone to have multiple wives. He never liked it, but he allowed it. But he never allowed the king to do it. And from the very beginning, before there even was a king, God said, if you're going to be king, one wife only. You cannot have multiple wives. You think David knew this or didn't know it? He knew it, but he had multiple wives. What happened? This tiny little seed of lust, of, eh, that's a big deal. And maybe he would look at that and say like, you know, you're not supposed to have all these wives. They'd look at it and say, these guys got like hundreds of wives. I only got like four or five. They say, well, five, six, seven, eight, you know. And what happened? David, even though David was a giant, David at this time was writing psalms. David was beating Goliath. Like David was a giant. David, like he wasn't a bad guy. David was a giant. But he had a little termite, a little hole in the ship. And that hole eventually, eventually, eventually sunk David. And it led to the worst period in David's life. King David writes about that period. And he says, watch what he says. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Talking about when he finally like, had this, like the effects of this sin. This is verse 3 and 4. Saying about how he kept silent and how horrible he felt. Look at the next verse. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What he's saying is, I kept silent, I was miserable. I acknowledged it, you forgave me. See how this works? I kept silent, I hid it, I didn't admit it. I was miserable. I confessed it, you forgave it, and we all moved on. Don't wait for little sins to become big sins. Don't wait for little sins to become big sins. I don't know anything about gardening, but I know if I see a little weed today, a little tiny little weed, and I come back after a couple days, a week, whatever it is, what are the chances that little weed has just magically gone away? 
and decided it, it moved to another garden. Chances. What is much more likely to have taken place? That little weed has become a bigger weed. And then if I leave it and I come back again, it probably has weed friends, okay, that it has brought to the party as well. There's no way, there's no way that the weed is going to remove itself from my garden. No way. If you have a little sin, that little sin ain't going anywhere. It's not. If you got a little cancer, it's not going anywhere. It's not that you can drink a lot of fluids and, and flush it out your system. If there's cancer inside, it's going to spread. And if there's sin inside, it's going to spread. It's going to get bigger. Think about it this way. I already know the answer to this, but I'll, tell you, I'll ask you anyway. How many of us today are dealing with something like this and we remember and we wish we would have just dealt with it when it was that? Here we are, fighting to keep this from crushing us. How many of us would pay to go back in time to that point in time and pluck that weed right out? I would. I'd love to be able to go back when that was just, like I said, a thought, a little seed. Don't make the same mistake again. Your homework assignment is to examine yourself. Is to sit with yourself sometime this week. Schedule some time. I'll tell you what, I'll give you two weeks. Okay? But here's your assignment. No, you have to do an assignment today. You have to do an assignment today and then something over the next two weeks. Today you have to schedule a time to sit with yourself. At least a half hour. If you can make it 45 minutes, even better. Schedule a time between now and two weeks from now to sit with yourself in honesty. Not to just go through the Ten Commandments, didn't offer incense idols, didn't name, not like that. Honesty. To wrestle with God and have God say, what is your name? You're proud. You're arrogant. You're stubborn. You're impatient. You're a jerk. Let God be honest with you. And you be honest with Him. There's no shame in making mistakes. The shame is in the cover-up of the mistakes. That's where all the problems happen. Not from the mistake, but from the cover-up of the mistake. So your homework assignment, I'm going to even make it easier here for you. I'm going to give you something to help you. I was going to originally print, okay, I have, I put together this little, just like this little pamphlet, okay, it's just like three or four pages about examining and preparing for the sacrament of confession. All right, y'all know that I've been making a, every week I've been announcing about the importance of confession and I have confession hours every Saturday night from 7.30 to 9.30 right here. I was so happy last night. Several people came, fantastic. Even someone confessed this morning before the liturgy, even better, all right? That's the best. Every one of us needs to get in the habit of regularly examining ourselves and confessing our sins. I'm gonna send you an email. Make sure that you're on the church email database. Right? If, you won't, if you didn't sign up, go today after we finish church. Okay, go to stsachurch.org and at the bottom, okay, there's a little link that says donate. All right, and if you click on that donate, it'll get you some place to set up an account. You don't have to donate, okay, but as I've announced every single week, 
you're most certainly welcome to donate. We, no one would object to that okay, while you're there. But you set up an account through that donate link and you'll get on the church email list. I'll send an email later on tonight with the PDF of this little document. And if someone's smart and can make it even like an e-book or something like that, it can even do something like that out of it. Help you prepare. But what I want you to do today before you sleep is set a time. And now to the end of two weeks from now, set a time. A half hour, 45 minutes that you can be alone, that you have no children duty, no on-call duty, no, like, don't make a funny time, like, you know, uh, uh, um, when at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning when I've never woken up before 10 a.m., okay, make it a real time, okay, a real time where you are fresh and you are alive, okay, don't be overzealous and wake up at 5 o'clock on a Saturday morning, that doesn't happen, that's not real. Set a time, put it in your calendar, and put it in your count, like, pull out your calendar and put it in there, set it as a time, as an appointment, put the busy and even put some reminders around that thing. And prepare yourself to stop running from God and to face the truth. Leave you all with this verse. 1 John chapter 5, chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. Powerful verse if we understand what it's saying. It says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Again. If we say that we have no sin, I don't need to confess. I don't need to examine myself. I don't need to be on. I, I don't need that. I don't, if we say that, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Flip side of that, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See how easy he makes it? Makes it so hard. You've got to examine yourself and you've got to find the truth and you got, you got, you got. We say, oh, that's so hard. Really? No, just say it. That's it. It's fine. It's done. Two minutes. It's done. It's done. The forgiving side is easy. The examining side is what's hard. You invest the time in the examining side and don't worry about this side. God will take care of this side. He's already done this side. And this side is easy, but you've got to do this side. We don't want to be deceiving ourselves. We're going to be extraordinary church. We're going to be extraordinary people. We've got to be people of integrity. We've got to be people of honesty. What's the point of all this? What's the point of coming to church if we're living a double life? What's the point of it? What's the point of standing up and praying? Say, I love you, God. When I got stuff in there that I know is in there, and I'm, and I'm just running away from it. And I'm just hiding. What's the point of it? You're not gaining any extra points. We need to be honest with ourselves. And if we're going to do it, it's time to stop running. And call it what it is. Okay, ladies and gentlemen? Let's stand up for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We thank you, our dear Heavenly Father, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, Lord, which is never-ending. Thank you that, that you wash us of all our sins when we come to you, and there's no sin that's too big that you can't cover. And there's no mistake that you can't erase, and there's, and there's no blot of sin that you can't make whiter than snow, Lord. Lord, give us the, like the, the strength. Give us the, the grace that we need to be able to sit with ourselves in honesty. Stop running from ourselves and, 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 and making excuses and being distracted. Give us, Lord, exactly what it is that we need. You reveal the time that you want us to sit with you. And give us the discipline to be, to, to, to be diligent in that, Lord. So we can find out who we really are. 
and that we can come clean with you, God, and you can give us like a new name, a new identity. Lord, we, we want to be transformed people. We don't want to just be ordinary people who go to church. We want to really be the church. We want to be your children, and we want to be like your lights everywhere that we go. Help us, Lord, with this step to become really transformed people. Pray that you would bless each and every single person here, Lord, and, and help each one of us to examine ourselves in honesty and in sincerity. And you examine us, Lord, and reveal to us the areas that need to be changed. We ask all this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.